Well, let me say, dear friends, it's good to be back again in uh, the New Beginnings Church here in Udyburn. Now, if you've got your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to uh, the Book of Psalms. Uh, The Book of Psalms, and we're going to turn to Psalm 90. Now, when we turn to this particular psalm, we must remember that this is probably the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms because it was written by Moses, the man of God so keep it in mind as we turn to this lovely psalm this evening Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carries them away as with a flood, they are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up, in the morning it flourisheth and groweth up, in the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath, we spend our years as the tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, Yet is their strength labour and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Now, I don't know, dear friends, if the the name of Lloyd Douglas would ring a bell in your mind. Lloyd Douglas. Perhaps it doesn't, perhaps it does. Well, many, many years ago, he wrote a book, and the book was entitled The Robe. That book was actually subsequently turned into a religious film about our Lord. And there's an interesting story told about Lloyd Douglas that he was sharing lodgings with a professor of music. 
and due to some physical ailment, the professor of music was confined to a wheelchair. And one morning, Lloyd Douglas, Douglas came down and said to the professor, what is the good news today? The old professor took his tuning fork and tapped the side of his wheelchair. And then he said to Lloyd, that is middle C. It was middle C yesterday, and it will be middle C in a thousand years from now. And if you're familiar with music, you know that middle C, it never changes. It's always the same. You know, dear friends, we live in a world that is continually changing. And somehow the more, the longer we live, we can see the many, many changes that we have witnessed in our lifetime. For example, fashions change. I have no need to emphasize that to the ladies in the service this evening. Fashions change. Look at your catalogues that you get from time to time and you see week after week, month after month, year after year, fashions are continually changing. And then, of course, technology is changing. Think of computers, iPads, iPods, and all these wonderful uh, innovations that have come in of recent times. And someone has said that if you were to buy a new computer, laptop computer today, it would be out of date before you even took it out of the shop. Because technology is continually improving and changing. And then, of course, governments change. That is why we have elections every five years, and sometimes governments change. And who knows, this time next Sunday, there could be a tremendous change in Bonnie, Scotland, as a result of what's going to happen on the 18th of this month. And I do trust, dear Christian friend, that you have been much in prayer about this. God, as we know, is above politics, but he's still the sovereign of the nations. And let us remember this in prayer, that God will guide and direct the people as they vote on Thursday. God never violates the human will. But he can lead and he can guide. So that whatever the decision is on Friday morning, whether yes or no, that it will be in conformity to his divine and perfect will. So governments change. And then, of course, churches change. And as Sandra said, I've been a pastor for many years, pastor at many churches. And as I look back upon my ministry, I can really say, yes, churches change. Sometimes not for the better, sometimes for the worse. Churches change. And then, of course, you change and I change. Now, we may like to, to admit that, but it is a fact of life. 
look at yourself in the mirror and then get out all those old photographs 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago oh yes it's the same person but you have changed and I have changed so you see we live in a world that is continually changing and how true the hymn writer was when he said change and decay all around I see O thou who changes not abide with me and we need to have a middle sea in our life just as in music the middle sea never changes always the same so we need in our lives as God's people a middle sea and I'm so glad tonight to say that here in Psalm 90 we have the Christians middle sea look at verse 1 and verse 2 Lord thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God there is the Christian's middle sea God himself and that is what I want to speak about this evening little time on this tremendous subject of the person of God and immediately I have a big problem where do I start where do I finish for this is a vast subject a deep subject there's length and breadth and depth and height well of course I have to be selective this evening and that is what I'm going to do I'm going to bring before you four aspects of this wonderful person that, that is our middle sea just as David in the morning service had four points and I didn't know that of course until I came tonight and so I'm going to bring before your attention four wonderful characteristics concerning the person of God that are clearly taught in the word of God and the first thing we're going to notice is this he is the everlasting one and that is emphasized in verse 1 and verse 2 our dwelling place in all generations and then he says in verse 2 from everlasting to everlasting thou art God so he is the everlasting one now I have to confess to you dear friends this evening that this is an aspect of the person of God that we find difficult to grasp for the simple reason we are used to having a beginning in fact the world the universe also had a beginning 
And so we find it difficult, you and not, that when we think of the, the person of God, here is someone who never had a beginning. Let us take him in terms. Uh, whether you think of billions of years, billions of years, trillions of years, go back in your mind over trillions of years in the past. There never was a time in which God wasn't. Now go in the other direction, go into the future, and whether you speak of millions, billions, or trillions of years, there shall never come a time in which God will cease to be. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the eternal God. Now, does it not blow our mind this evening? Can you grasp it? Of course you can't. We are finite and we're taught with someone who is infinite. For a number of years I was a school chaplain and you would go in to do religious education and my, there were some clever young people and sometimes when you're trying to explain to them concerning these great things, some bright spark would, would put his hand up and would say, who made God? And of course that's the question children ask in their naivety. Who made God? Now, how do I explain to a young person, a child, concerning the answer to that question. And of course the answer is, of course, that no one made God. Because if someone made God, well then you would have to ask the question, then who made him who made God? God is from everlasting to everlasting. He never had a beginning, and he shall never have an ending. He is eternal. Now, there's a wonderful way in which you can get to know God. And that is, try and get to know the names of God. Because every name of God and every title of God is a revelation, is an insight into his character, his being, his essence. So as you get to know the names of God, you will get to know God himself. Because God has revealed himself in his names. Now may I say very graciously this evening, and I shall apologise in advance. Perhaps when you were born, and when I was born, not much thought went into giving you your name. Now I could be wrong. If I am, I humbly apologise. A little girl, well, we shall call her after Aunt So-and-so. Little boy, well, we'll call him after Uncle So-and-so. And sometimes not much thought goes into naming our children. Not so with the person of God. Every name, every title is a revelation and insight into his glorious person. 
and here in Psalm 90 you have the Psalm you have Moses and he mentions some of these wonderful names now you have to be following very closely here friends because you have in front of you an English translation but please remember your Bible was not written in English the Old Testament is written in Hebrew the New Testament is written in Greek there are two types of Greek you have classical Greek of the philosophers you've got the common Greek the Koei, the common Greek it was written in the common Greek and what we are greatly indebted to men of ability they were able to translate from the Hebrew into English and from the Greek into English so that we could read the scriptures but there again you could be a Hebrew scholar you could be a Greek scholar and you could read the original manuscripts but if you couldn't well then you couldn't read the scriptures but unfortunately when you translate from one language into another language sometimes you lose something of the force of the original and sometimes we have to go to the original to find out what it really means now let me try and illustrate this and look at verse 1 Moses says Lord go down to verse 13 he says return O Lord look at verse 17 let the beauty of the Lord die in verse um, 1 and in verse 13 and in verse 17 you have the name or the word Lord in English but when you go into the Hebrew you find that there are different words used here that's not brought out in the, origin, in the English translation for example the, the, the name Lord in verse 1 is Adonai but when you go down to verse 13 O Lord is not Adonai it is Jehovah but you see the same English word translating two different Hebrew words Lord Adonai and then 13 Jehovah now let me just get a hold of this lovely name Jehovah now we divide time into the past the present and the future that's how we look at time we think of the past yesterday we think of the present today we think of tomorrow the future and what God has done in this awesome name of Jehovah he has brought together the three aspects of time and he uses a compound name to describe this and a literal translation of Jehovah is this he that ever was there's the past he that ever is there's the present and he that ever shall be is the future and it's all brought together in the awesome name of Jehovah Yahweh isn't that absolutely wonderful now I should explain that as far as God is concerned there's no past, present or future we think of that but as far as God's concerned it is the eternal now he doesn't have to wait until tomorrow to know what's going to happen oh no, you have to do that, I have to do that but not God, God lives in the eternal present 
So there's the first thing we want to emphasize about your middle C and my middle C. He is the everlasting one. No beginning, no ending. Stumped with etanology. Here's a second one. Not only is he the everlasting one, but he is the ever unchanging one. I have emphasized we live in a world that is continually changing, but here is someone who never changes. Don't take my word for it. Here's what he says himself in Malachi I am the Lord, I change not. That's his own words. I am the Lord, I change not. <clears throat> now I have discovered, dear friends, in church life that you've got to mention the word change. And some people, some Christians, they almost have a heart attack. They don't like change. We've done this for donkey's years and don't you come and try and make us to do it a different way. And they don't like change. Now when you think of change, it can mean one of two things. You can change either for the better or you can change for the worst. It can work one well or the other. But you see, when you think of the character of God and the person of God, God cannot change for the better for the simple reason he is already perfect. So he cannot change for the better. And being perfect, he could never change for the worst. He is the unchanging one. That does not mean to say that he's outdated. Oh no. That he's old fashioned. Oh no. He is the ever unchanging one. The same yesterday and today and forever. That dear Christian is your middle sea and my middle sea. Someone who is the everlasting one and someone who is the unchanging one what a glorious comfort that is that he never changes you change I change the world changes governments change churches change Christians change but here is someone who is the rock of ages someone that is unchanged and unchanging I am the Lord he said I change now now may I say here God sometimes may change his methods and his ways of doing things. But he in himself, in his essence, in his nature, never changes. And sometimes we have people praying, oh God... Give us the revival we had in 1859. Give us the revival we had in 1904. Give us the revival we had up in the Hebrides. As if to say, well, that's the only revival God can give. Oh no, friends. Our God is a God of infinite variety. Creation stop with it. Indeed, when God made you, and when God made me, what happened? He broke the mood. There's never going to be another you, and there's never going to be another me. And you're probably saying, thank goodness for that. You see, he broke the mold. Variety, 
as we say, as a spice of life. And the same thing happens with regard to God. Look at creation. Indeed, look at your fingerprints. Think of nearly as a seven billion of a population or thereabouts. And no two finger, no sets of fingerprints are the same. By that blows the minds. God is a God of variety. Yes, he never changes. But sometimes in church life, he might do things differently. I'll never forget, he is sovereign. And he will do what he likes, when he likes, and how he likes. He is the sovereign one. He is the unchanging one. Let me say thirdly, he is the ever faithful one. That lovely verse in the book of Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations, you say, in which Jeremiah says these words, Great is thy faithfulness. Many years ago, as young Christians, we used to visit old people, senior citizens in the home. And I can remember it to this very day, visiting a dear old sin, I still remember her name, uh, uh, Mrs. Glenn. And she was saying to me, Stanley, I've been reading this verse in Lamentations, and I can't understand it. And I said, what is it? Well, it says in Lamentations, great is thy faithfulness. And then she said, but I have been unfaithful. How could the Lord say, great is thy faithfulness? And very graciously and very gently, I had to say, Mrs. Glenn, the L Jeremiah is not referring to your faithfulness. He's referring to the faithfulness of God. Great is your faithfulness. And you know, her face began to light up. Oh, is that right? It's not my faithfulness. No, it's his faithfulness. You see, God could never be unfaithful. He's faithful to his person, faithful to his nature, faithful to his promises, faithful to his covenants. He is the ever faithful one. Now, let me give an illustration here. I'm going to use my dear brother Sandy. Sandy, you don't mind me using you as an illustration. Paragon of virtues. <laughs> what a wonderful character. Paragon of virtues. But let's just imagine that Sandy gets in a wee spot of trouble. And he finds himself up in court. And I said, plenty of money. So what's he do? He hires a good barrister. To represent him in the court. Now probably one of the, th the ways that the barbarian is going to approach this subject. About whatever Sandy has done. This misdemeanor. He's going to plead. Your honour, your lordship. I want to say that my client is a good citizen of this country. A paragon of virtues, a wonderful husband, a wonderful father, a wonderful grandfather. But on this occasion, he acted out of character. What happened? That wasn't him. 
something happened. He blew a gasket or something and he, he acted out of character. That could mean a lot to the judge. And perhaps Sandy will get off with a fine or something. Because the barbiter took this line of defense. My client acted out of character. That, that is something God can never do. God is righteous. He can never be unrighteous. God is holy. He can never be unholy. God is just. He can never be unjust. You see what I mean? He can never act out of character. And that is why Paul says in Timothy, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Because God is the ever faithful one. Great is thy faithfulness. I have to confess, you have to confess, if you're honest this evening, that many times in your Christian life you've been unfaithful, you've been inconsistent. But isn't it great to know tonight, dear friends, that here was someone that is always faithful to his word, to his promises. You know, if certain people were to say, well, I Stanley, I'll do something for you, and they make you a promise, I wouldn't put much faith in that person. Why? I know the person. Doesn't keep his word. Doesn't keep her word. She promised you anything. But never intends to carry it out. My dear friends, when God promises you something, you can depend upon it. Because if God doesn't keep his promise, he has got more to lose than you have. All you would lose is the fulfillment of the promise. But God will lose his character. God will lose his reputation. And oh, what a heyday the devil would have. <laughs> Look at him. God, he's been unfaithful. He promised this and he couldn't carry it out. And that is why, dear friends, God's promises are not like the politicians' promises. Coming up to a general election, what do you get? Manifestos. You read the manifest, what do they do? Wonderful promises. Give me your vote. Get me into Hollywood or get me into Westminster. And I shall do this, I shall do that, I shall do that. But promises. And sometimes you get the vote and they don't carry out the promises. That's not God's promises. God's promises are true. What he says, he will do. Because his character is at stake now, are you getting this, dear friends? He is the everlasting one. He is the ever unchanging one. He is the ever faithful one. Here's the last one. He is the ever loving and caring one. And here we find something very profound. We've thought of his eternity from everlasting to everlasting. Thinking of his greatness, his righteousness, his purity, his holiness, his justice and so forth. And yet let's not forget that he is ever loving and caring for us. Because John the beloved disciple says God is love. Now I have to explain something here dear friends. 
sometimes we put too much emphasis on the love of God. Yes, you can say God is love, but you can't say love is God. Because God is not only love, he's, he's just, he's righteous, and so forth. Love is but one of his great characteristics. But let us rejoice this evening that he is a God of love. He said to Jeremiah, he says, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. What a love that is, an everlasting love. <laughs> and tell me, if your best friend, or even if your husband or your neighbor, knew the worst about you, knew all the thoughts that sometimes you think that are not good thoughts, and sometimes the thing that you say that you regret saying if, you, if, if they knew the worst about you in its totality I wonder would they still love you I doubt it but here is someone he knows the very worst about you there are no skeletons in your cupboard he doesn't know about you've got no secrets that you can hide from him he knows everything that is about you so don't try and bluff him. Don't try and put the wool over his eyes. It won't work, friends. It might work with your friends. It won't work with him because he knows you through and through. And yet, even though he knows the worst about you, he loves you just the same. It's not tremendous. Let me put it even stronger. God cannot love you any more than he does. And he will never love you any less. But isn't that marvellous, friends? Doesn't that make you feel privileged this evening? That you are a recipient of his love. Nobody else may love you. But here is someone who knows the worst about you. And he says to you, and he says to me, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You see, top, you see, when you read the Bible, you've got to, you've got to sometimes come from the general to the particular. What do you mean? Well, take John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world. Oh, that's wonderful. But what about it? World about seven or seven and a half billion people? Why not say, for God so loved me? What's happening? You're coming from the general to the particular. You probably say, Stanley, is that scriptural? Of course it is. Here's what Paul says. Galatians 2. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's Paul doing? He's, he's, he's appropriating. Oh yes, God loves the world, but he loves me. The Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Yes, the ever loving and the ever caring one. Think of those lovely words in Peter. Do you remember what Peter says? 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Precious words. He says, casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. 
I'm not too sure if I've said this before in Buddhist Burn, but I'm going to say it again. If you want to get your mind stretched, and remember you've got a mind, you've got brains, use it. Read the writings of C.S. Lewis, especially his religious books. Because you find that when you read his books, they will stretch your mind. He was a professor of English literature, a very clever man. And I remember reading one occasion what he said, when you pray. And here's a thought. Have you ever thought of this? That you get alone with God on your knees or when you're sitting, whatever you're doing, and you're praying at a certain time, certain place. You know there's every possibility that there are thousands, even millions of people who are praying at the same time that you're praying in different places. Now then... You could listen maybe to two or three people talking at the same time. It might be difficult, but you could do it. But what about hundreds? What about thousands? You couldn't do it. And the question is, and Professor Lewis puts it there, how can God listen to those thousands, perhaps even millions of people, praying as you're praying at the same time? And here's what he says. Let's get a hold of this. It'll bless you. God has all the time in the world to listen to your prayer. Just as God has all the time in the world to listen to all the millions of prayers that are going on at the same time. Doesn't that blow your mind? You see, you're out of the dimension of time and you're in the dimension of eternity. And he cares for you. But wait a minute, you're just one of, of a big family, he's got thousands, millions of, of God's Christians, and he cares for them all individually. And he's got no favourites. He loves them all, and he cares for them. Let me say in closing, you've been very patient listening, I appreciate that. You know, there's some verses, and oh yes, um, theoretically we believe them. Oh yes, that's wonderful. But it's when we try to put it in action, in practice. Come on, let's be honest this evening. Is that what you do? Casting all your care upon him? Do you? Or you might bring them to the Lord. But tell me, do you take, do you take them back again? Do you take them back again? You, you're brought to the Lord in prayer, but do you take them back again? And then after your prayer, you're still worrying. You're still fretting. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you why not put that to the test dear friends prove it prove it and you're fine it works it's not what I say and indeed it's not what Peter says Peter's writing under the inspiration of the spirit of God cast it all your care upon him and then of course Paul comes to the aid of Peter and here's what, here's what Paul says in Philippians 4 I'm just reading it I think it was today that lovely epistle of the little church at Philippi. And Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That, that little church meant a tremendous lot to the Apostle Paul. Many churches give him a headache and a heartache. But here's a church that brought delight and joy to his great heart. 
And here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. Listen very carefully. Be careful for nothing. Or if you want the revised version, in nothing be anxious. Or in plain language, don't worry. Be careful for nothing. But, but, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep God like a garrison, your heart and mind, in Christ Jesus. There's the picture. Careful for nothing, prayerful about everything. Don't we sing sometimes a lot of lies in church? Ever thought of that? What about Joseph Scriven's lovely hymn? How many times have you sung it? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs that bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. You sing that. But do you do it? Do you do it? If not, you're singing lies. You should keep quiet. Keep your lip, keep your mouth shut if you don't believe it. Oh, what peace we often forward. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. My dear friend, it works. If you don't believe me, put it to the test and you'll find, boy, that works. Casting you see, he is the ever-loving and the ever-caring one. And who knows, dear friends, I don't know. Perhaps tomorrow, or Tuesday, or Wednesday, you might be, uh, have problems, difficulties. Remember, he is the ever-loving and the ever-caring God. Now, next Sunday, the Lord willing will be a, a continuation of this subject and I'm going to speak about a, a special privileged people and I'm going to go to that little verse in Daniel 11 the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits tonight we've thought of the greatness of God now then, next Sunday we're going to see how we can get to know this wonderful God. And we'll think of those words in the book of Daniel. And then the last Sunday, we're going to speak on a very important subject that is related. Going to speak about the voice of the Lord. We hear many voices today, even in church life. We need to be tuned in and sensitive to his voice. So we'll, we'll conclude by thinking of the voice of the Lord. God bless you.